when we are in doubt, God will never fail to give us light when we have no other plan but to please Him and to act in love for Him. Good morning, church family, and we are just delighted to have the opportunity to worship together here. Listen, worship facilities may be empty, and so is the tomb. Christ is risen. And if you are facing doubt this morning, if you're facing questions about Christianity, if you're facing an unknown future, and who isn't these days, I want you to hear the testimony of someone in the Bible who walked through this journey of doubt and found the light of Christ in a meaningful, life-changing way. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to the New Testament book of John, John chapter 20, and I want to read verses 19 to 29. The Gospel of John is found in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, John chapter 20, verses 19 to 29. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is the word of the Lord. Did you detect some similarities between the disciples' experience of Easter and our experience even today, self-quarantine, uh, locked inside your home, can't get out, fear, anxiety about the future. That's exactly where they are. That's really where we are, isn't it? 
So much had changed in the last week. The disciples had no idea that their dream would be derailed. The triumphal entry, Christ entered Jerusalem. Hosanna, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. But then quickly, quickly circumstances had changed. And and so then there was Jesus' midnight arrest. And there was Judas' betrayal and Peter's denial. There was Caiaphas's trickery. There was Pontius Pilate's apathy. There was Israel's rage and rejection. And, and then Jesus was dead. A slave's death. Crucified. And there they were. Self-quarantined. Sheltered at home. Out of fear that their lives would be next. Fear. Fear. Verse 19. Anybody feeling fear today? Anybody feeling anxiety about the uncertainties and the unpredictabilities of life? Anybody feeling that life is out of control? That you don't see through the fog the possibilities of of joy? Let me just pastor you for a moment if you're feeling that kind of fear. It is not a sin to fear because fear is no sin. Fear is a cry for help. Fear is pleading with God. Fear is an admission of weakness, of frailty. Fear pleads to the Lord, help. I need your help. So it's, it's no sin to fear. That's where the disciples were. That's where we are. And it's in the midst of that fear that something life-changing happened to the disciples. Jesus came. Jesus came and stood and then spoke. And it's this, this beautiful way that John writes this verse Dependent clause, dependent clause, dependent clause, crescendoing to this independent clause. On the evening, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked, where the disciples were, for fear, Jesus came, Jesus stood, Jesus spoke. The living Christ, the transfigured, transphysical, embodied Christ. The Christ who stood, did you hear what John said? In their midst, among them. Not there at the threshold of the door. Not around the circumference there of the wall. But there in their midst, right in the center. The Jesus who stood in the center, crucified between two criminals. The Jesus who in Revelation chapters 1 through 3 stands among the churches. Jesus is there in the center of his disciples. And it's as if John is trying to tell us, the reader, this is where Jesus needs to be in the midst of our fear. He needs to be among us, in the middle of us, in the middle of our fear, in the middle of our anxiety, in the middle of our family, in the middle of our work, in the middle of our marriage, in the middle of our relationships, in the middle of our suffering. In the middle of our grieving, in the middle of death, 
in the middle of success. Oh, let Jesus in the middle. Because when he is in the middle, well, listen to what he says. The first word, there will be peace. Peace be with you. Again, John's speaking to us. He's saying, if you want peace in your life, let Jesus in the middle of your life. And did you notice that's the first word Jesus says to his disciples? First word. The first word he says to his disciples, the first word is not repent or cowards, but peace be with you. And he doesn't say control. Control be with you. (laughs) No. Peace. Peace be with you. It's the the greatest gift that we can have. The gift of peace. Even in the midst of our circumstances. And it only comes through the one who is in the middle of our circumstances. Oh, and then there's another gift. It's the gift of truth. Peace and truth go hand in hand. That's verse 20. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. You see, that's truth. It's fact. This really happened. They weren't hallucinating. Jesus' body, his resurrected body, was there present before them. And the most peace-generating truth that you can possibly receive is to experience the reality of Christ's resurrected body before you. No wonder the scripture says in verse 20, then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And so after the peace and the truth, then comes the commissioning. Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And verse 22 says that he breathed on him Why did he breathe on him? Because that's what the living do. They breathe. He's alive. It's real. They're seeing reality and beholding reality. And part of that reality is the commissioning that Jesus gives to his disciples. He is deputizing them. He's saying, receive the Holy Spirit, meaning welcome the Holy Spirit. By the power of the Holy Spirit, Christ's own Spirit, by grace through faith, the gospel will forgive the sins of those who come to Jesus, and the gospel declares unforgiven those who reject Christ. That's what verse 23 is about. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. There on that Easter day, The disciples, they experienced the very presence of Christ in their center. They experienced the peace of Christ, the truth of Christ. He really is risen. Look, we we see his hands, his side, and then they receive the commissioning, welcoming the Holy Spirit. They are sanctioned apostolic delegates built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus as the chief cornerstone and then with that he vanished oh my goodness they they must have all just been uh, just overwhelmed with joy (laughs) well not all of them 
one of them was not with them. Verse 24, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So naturally, when he showed up, the other disciples, Thomas, we have seen the Lord. Verse 25, you've seen the Lord. What? What, what, what do you mean? What do you mean? We've seen the Lord recounting what had happened. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I've seen the Lord too. I saw them peel his corpse off the cross. Oh, and actually, I didn't because I ran. I was a coward. I denied him. You did too, Peter. You, you did it three times. What are, you, what, are you, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? He's dead. It's over. Done. We can't stay here. We, 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 I've thought this over. We need, to, we need to break up. We need to disband. Can't stay here. I'll tell you. I'd like to believe, but unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark and the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe, period. You know anybody like that? Do you know anybody who's ever felt that way? Have you ever felt that way? I mean, you'd like to believe. You, you should really wonder, is this really real? Is this a cruel hoax? What, what's happening here? What is this all about? And Thomas wasn't afraid to say it. <laughs> That's the thing. You know, sometimes we have doubts. And we really wonder about God's goodness. We really wonder where God's going. But then in the middle of those doubts, we just, you know, should we say it? Should we not? And, but yet Thomas said it. Thomas acknowledged it. Thomas said, I've got a problem and I'm not afraid to speak up. Somewhere in some sermon by some preacher some time ago, he got tagged with the phrase, Doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas, due to this one episode. Can you imagine having your whole life defined by one episode in your life? I mean, <laughs> elsewhere in Scripture, I mean, Thomas was all in. And yet here we, we see him expressing really not even just doubt, but just flat disbelief. I, I just can't believe that this can be true. Why did Thomas express this? Why, why do people doubt? Well, some people doubt. Because they're tired. Other people doubt because of suffering. I'll tell you why I think Thomas doubted. Thomas doubted because of crushing disappointment. I mean, he was the one who had said earlier in the Gospels, let us go to Jerusalem that we may die with him. He was all in. But he didn't have any, any thought of a crucified Messiah. Messiahs don't get crucified. Messiahs crucify others. They don't get killed. And yet then when Jesus was dead, have I just wasted my life? 
Has this just all been a, just a, a cruel hoax? What's going on here? He, see, Thomas wasn't afraid to talk about it. I, I don't think we should call him Doubting Thomas. I think we should call him Honest Thomas because he's just saying what everybody else may have been thinking. He's not afraid to identify the elephant. He's not afraid to speak up. <laughs> and I don't think he, he was ever afraid to speak up. I mean, think about it. In John chapter 14, when Jesus said, In my Father's house are many mansions if it were not so i would have told you and the other disciples are going yeah that's wonderful it's kind of a bobblehead group there and thomas is kind of looking around and lord i i don't know i don't know where you're going so how can i know the way see he's not afraid to speak up he's not afraid to tell the lord what's going on in his heart he's not afraid to express doubt. And if there is a place where any of us can express doubt, I truly believe that it needs to be in the church family. And so, wow, eight days, verse 26 says, eight days. See, Thomas expresses his doubt, honest Thomas. But then, you know, we'd like for God to just immediately answer the doubt. In my perfect world, I would drive up to the coffee shop and at the first window, place my order. I'd like a venti, uh, resolution, um, throw some cream in there. Okay, thank you. And then I pull up to the second window and make my payment and drive off with my resolution. One minute. That's not this. God lets him sit in that doubt. Why does God do that? Maybe to teach patience. Maybe to teach endurance. And maybe to test the character of their community. One week, it was Thomas and the ten. I don't know that it was Thomas versus the ten, but it was Thomas and the ten. I mean, they were convinced of what they had seen and experienced. Thomas, well, Thomas said what Thomas said. So on the one hand, their community was open to Thomas expressing his doubt, and as equally, the community didn't expel Thomas for being honest, Thomas. And that's, that, that's the church family. So come with your doubts, and we love you as they loved one another. But the scripture goes on to say eight days later, Eight days later, we, we express our doubts. God lets us sit in our doubts. Oh, but you know what? God faithfully responds when we honestly seek. God, God always lets Sunday come. <laughs> Sunday always comes. 
And there they were, together, the scriptures say. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came. And he reduplicates what happened the previous week. Peace be with you. And then he gets right down to business. Do you see that? He says, Thomas, here, see my hands. Examine them. Check them out. Put your finger here. here. See my side. Stick your hand here. Stop unbelieving and start believing. Stop being an unbeliever and start being and continually be a believer. I want you to see uh, a painting, uh, a fresco uh, that I found uh, that's related to this passage of Scripture. Now, I've got three observations about this painting, and I want you to see. First of all, it's a thousand-year-old painting. It was found in a Greek monastery. It's still in existence today. But second, I want you to notice closely in the painting, Jesus is guiding the hand of Thomas so that Thomas can, can feel the wound for himself. Can't you hear Jesus say, Thomas, just reach out your hand. Here, let me help. God will faithfully help when we honestly seek. Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Psalm 34, 4. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. So what Christ was doing is he was removing every reason for Thomas not to believe. He was irrefutable before Thomas because seeing is believing because you have seen me you believe and Jesus also says believing is seeing verse 29 have you believed because you have seen me blessed are those who have not seen yet have believed now Jesus is not saying more blessed are those who have not seen yet believe Jesus is I don't believe that Jesus is scolding Thomas. Thomas, after all I've done for you, I'm really disappointed in you. That's not the point. The point is this. Verse 29 says, Jesus tells Thomas what the future is going to be like. Jesus looks ahead to the time when his resurrection appearances will not be the norm. So it's possible to believe what Thomas believed without seeing what Thomas saw. So you and I have not lost anything by hearing or reading as opposed to seeing. And for one week, Thomas lived like you and I are living right now. He was put in a situation where he was forced to believe what he heard versus what he had seen. And for one week, he was a juror. He was in the jury box. And then Jesus appeared. Thomas, here I am. And there's no reason for you not to believe your brothers and their testimony. I want you to start believing them today. And oh, by the way, as of today, you're no longer in the jury box. You're now on the witness stand. So Jesus did not appear to Thomas so that Thomas might be a better believer. He appeared to Thomas so that Thomas would be a better apostle. Because all of the apostles were eyewitnesses of the bodily resurrection of Christ. See, Thomas had known about Christ's teaching before. Thomas was there at the Sermon on the Mount. 
He knew the curriculum, but Christianity is not a curriculum. Christianity is about a relationship with a person. Christianity is not about teaching material about what you should do. It is about receiving and welcoming what Christ has done for you. I mean, think about it for a minute. (laughs) So the Apostle John later lived in the urban city of Ephesus, large city. Can you imagine a slave in the ancient city of Ephesus hearing the Apostle John say, oh, yes, yes, the resurrection. Well, it's really just an inspiring story. It didn't really happen. It's just a great lesson on good, overcoming evil. So uh, be nice to one another. And then can you picture that slave saying, brilliant. That message transforms my life of grinding misery and oppression into one of triumphant hope. I don't think so. No, what we hear is 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. The apostle says, that which is from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands, Concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest. We have seen it. And we testify to it. And proclaim to you the eternal life. And in verse 28. Thomas responds with with the most efficient confession. That you can ever make about Jesus. Meus Dominus et Meus Deus. My Lord and my God. See, that was the that was the profession made of the Roman Emperor Domitian. But Thomas is saying, No, I know the real Lord. I know the real Emperor. His name is Jesus. And that's been the point of John's gospel all along. Oh, that painting. I told you there were three observations. Let me tell you what the third one is. The third one is that uh, the Bible never says that Thomas touched Jesus. And you know why? Because he didn't need to. (laughs) Seeing is believing. And church family, hearing is believing too. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And so the Apostle John says in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. Do you believe? 
me just ask you some honest Thomas questions here. I mean, are, are you really willing to deal with the difficult questions? D- do you want God in your life? Really? Are, are you willing to confront your fears? Are you willing to confess them? Are you willing to seek God with all your heart? Are, are you willing to follow the truth wherever it leads? Now be careful what you pray for. Because once Jesus shows up, everything changes. And he doesn't show up in order to be your associate or your executive assistant or your personal trainer. He shows up to be Dominus et Deus, Lord and God, because that's who he is. When we are in doubt, God will never fail to give light when we have no other plan than to please him and act in love for him. Those who seek God will see God.